So um, Jesus to this point, we were just early part of Mark's gospel. And Jesus in the previous chapter had basically been keeping a low profile. He'd carried out, the miracles that he'd carried out had been private. Um, and he was like telling people, don't tell anybody. Uh, and so far he's healed uh, several, well, many people. And he's also driven out demons. But rumors are starting to spread. And people are starting to crowd around him to find out more about him. So just as a quick question, just amongst yourselves, uh, have and think about, see if you can remember a time that when you were so desperate to see someone or something that you maybe queued or go, went to great lengths to find out and to, and to see that person. So just going to give you a few minutes just to speak to somebody near you to think about something that's so important that you went to great lengths. Okay, okay. Let's hear some of these. Uh, we haven't got long, so maybe just um, would somebody like to shout out one of the things they may have queued for or waited or anybody? Martin. Oh, <laughs> how long did you queue for? Oh, right. yeah. Okay, okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. Pardon? Beanie Babies. Oh, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I remember those. Oh, wow. One more, one more. Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. Amazing, amazing. Oh, go on then, Ruth. Yeah. Oh, did you? Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. I, I remember the days of the Olympics where you had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to stand a chance of actually getting any tickets for it. So, you know, we go to great lengths sometimes, don't we? So these people are kind of like going to great lengths to kind of hear Jesus. And they're people who are curious and uh, some are so desperate to see Jesus that they, they're doing this. They're going to these great lengths just to reach him. And we particularly see that with the four men who are carrying the paralyzed man. So I have another quick chat. Um, what qualities do you think these four men had in trying to reach Jesus? What, what qualities did they have? What would they have needed in their kind of desperation to get to Jesus. It's a bit more tricky, so have a, have a quick think. Okay, okay. Would anybody like to just shout out, just shout out the, some of the qualities? Faith, definitely faith, yes. Determination, yeah. I bet he was heavy. Compassion, lovely. Belief, yes, yep. A lack of shame. Hugh. Yeah, pardon? Physical strength, yes, definitely, definitely. A lack of shame. Lack of shame. <laughs> Just dig through the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, goodness what the hands must have felt like. I don't think they had a spade. <laughs> I think ingenuity was one of the ones they had. And I think also hope. I think they had hope in something new, something different, new possibilities. So these men not only wanted to know more about what Jesus was saying, but they had faith that Jesus could heal their friend. They believed he could do miracles. The paralyzed man would have been taken out every day to beg on the streets. He was unable to work and earn money and contribute to the family. He was completely dependent on people's pity and generosity. He was also completely dependent on those around him to do everything for him. His life must have felt empty with no hope of ever changing. And the Jewish believed that disaster and disease was caused by sin. 
either through degeneration, passed from parent to child, or the man's own sin. And as people walked past, they would have judged him based on this cultural belief. Some would have been glad it wasn't them. Others would have stayed away from him so that they weren't made impure by being near a sinner. And yet others would have pitied him. Yet the four men had faith that this man's life could be changed if they could just get him in front of Jesus. And so they managed to get him up onto the roof, which is a flat roof. I don't know whether many of you know Palestinian and um, Israel's homes are very flat roofed. And they managed to dig through and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. And then Jesus did something a bit unusual. He forgave them. He forgave the man of his sin. So last question, just to get you really thinking. Why did Jesus forgive the man's sin and not heal him at that first instance of his paralysis? Quite a tricky one. Okay, it's gone a bit quiet, so (laughs) this is a harder one. It is a hard one. Okay, hopefully we're going to unpack this a little bit anyway. Has anybody got any thoughts that they would like to share? Yes, that's true. So so they could have, he could have been cured of, of his paralysis, but, but actually there was something a bit more deeper going on there. Okay. Anybody else got anything? Any thoughts? No, Noah doesn't want to say, but, but Noah, and it is Noah. Noah was saying that, that often when, when we look at people, we just see the outside. Mm. But, but Jesus also looks at the inside and that, that matters more in one sense. So, so Jesus looked at the guy and said, I, I want to look and heal you on the inside as well as the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but often we just look at the outside, but there's nothing, yeah, God looks at the heart. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, it's yeah. great. Yeah. John. Yeah. Um, it all very, very, really amazing things. I think also forgiveness is unseen, so I think Jesus might be doing something here as well. You know, we can't see forgiveness, but uh, but we can see physical healing. Um, and actually, some some might say he actually did heal him. He did heal him. He healed what was inside of him. So, um, right, so this really, just we've already talked a little bit about um the early part of, the, of chapter one. Um, so Jesus, this is Jesus's first real public miracle that is he, he's actually doing in his ministry. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we did about the leper. And I think in Mark one, he was told not to go and tell anyone. So he actually went and did the opposite and told everybody. But that's just the way it works. <laughs> I think Jesus knew that would happen anyway. Um, so this miracle is actually a really important one. And one that will launch Jesus increasingly into the public eye. And so to offer forgiveness is actually very significant because the Jews believed that it's only the offended person who could actually offer forgiveness. So God is the only one who can offer forgiveness of this man's sins. Uh, And by Jesus offering forgiveness, he has violated the power and authority of God and therefore blasphemed. But Jesus was showing that He has authority to forgive sins because he is the Messiah, the chosen one, Emmanuel. And the miracles he's performing are not possible by an ordinary man, a prophet maybe. But forgiveness, that is is a step beyond a prophet's position. And I wonder if this first public miracle, Jesus was foreshadowing his ultimate purpose the purpose of his death on the cross, the forgiveness of sins for all who have faith in him. And it isn't clear from this passage why this man was paralyzed, but Jesus' forgiveness does suggest that there was a sin involved in his condition. 
And we know from David's psalm the impact of sin on our bodies, especially Psalm 32, where it says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Sin and unforgiveness can have a physical impact on our bodies, as as John has mentioned. Um, And maybe the paralyzed man was so ashamed, racked with guilt, lacking in hope of redemption, that over the years his body has ceased to function how it should. And we don't really know, but Jesus knew what his deepest need was. Jesus also saw their faith and knew his heart. Jesus forgives the man. And through this forgiveness, he makes him holy. Jesus then tells the man to stand up, pick up his mat and go home. Now forgiven, the man is healed. Jesus has made him whole. And one thing I found interesting in this passage is that the man never once asked for forgiveness of his sins. He didn't even mention it. I'm not even sure he got to say anything, actually. But He just came to Jesus with this faith that Jesus could heal him. And that's all we need, isn't it? We just need that faith. And this reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son who decides to return to his father after taking his inheritance and living a life of sin. And while his son is still far off, his father sees him and rushes out to greet him. The son doesn't even get a chance to say sorry before he's welcomed back and given all the blessings of being part of a family again. And we can see Jesus do this with a paralyzed man. He says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. This man has been an outcast in society, and here Jesus calls him son and accepts him into the family of God. And this, this is the wonder of Jesus Christ. This man, lifted into the room by his friends, broken, paralyzed, and desperate, And after a few minutes with Jesus, he walks out of that room with freedom, belonging, and a better future. No wonder the Pharisees were worried about Jesus. They saw the power and authority he had. If only they had open minds to see the truth of who Jesus was. But that wasn't part of God's plan. And we know from the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But if we are to offer God's forgiveness to those who have hurt us, we need to first accept the depths of God's forgiveness for us in our own lives. God's forgiveness is complete. It is wiping the slate clean. It is starting again with no browser history. Psalm 103 tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. And Jeremiah 31, I will forgive the wickedness and remember the sins no more. God doesn't want us stuck in the past, reliving the things we've said, the things we've done, the hurt that we've caused. If you've confessed it, Jesus has dealt with it. It is forgiven. And like the paralyzed man, he stood up. 
he picked up his mat and he walked out of the room. We too, once we have confessed, are to stand up and walk out with the freedom that forgiveness brings. Pope Francis says, doesn't matter what you've said or what you've done, what you've thought, or even what you've thought about saying or doing, what you've been, where you've been, who you've been there with, there is more grace in God than sin in you. He always forgives. And no human is beyond the forgiveness of God, no matter what they have done. God is like the parable. He is like the father standing there with outstretched arms, always welcoming, always forgiving, and always loving. And this doesn't mean that our sin doesn't matter because there's always a consequence to our sin that will be worked out. But what it does mean is that we can live in freedom and the knowledge that our sin has no hold over us. And as we are forgiven, we are made holy and whole again. As we are forgiven, so we must forgive those who hurt us. And when someone has hurt us so much, so, so much, we often don't want to forgive. But if we don't forgive, we can continue to carry around the extreme feelings of bitterness, anger, hate, rage, and resentment that we felt at the time of our first hurt. And our thoughts may turn to revenge. Unforgiveness is said to be like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Not only is unforgiveness not good for our physical health, it can also affect our happiness. It can, get, it can have a negative impact on our relationships with others, and most importantly, it can distance us from God. And we may even blame God for this situation and for him allowing it to happen. And you wouldn't be alone in that. We have every right not to reconcile with anyone who has caused us pain. But we can still choose to forgive them. This doesn't mean that what, we, what they have done is right or that we forget what they have done or that we leave ourselves open for future attack or even let them off the hook. If seeking justice through the court of law is appropriate, then we should do this. Forgiveness is the heartfelt choice to say, I will no longer feel the emotions of rage, hate, anger towards that person or situation anymore. It is a conscious decision to let go of all of that desire for revenge and retaliation. It's a conscious choice to reflect God's love seek blessing for that person and letting the hurt go. And Jesus, as always, is the first and wonderful best example of this. And on the cross, after he has been humiliated, beaten, mocked, he cries out to his father and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. 
Having given God's forgiveness, we are healed of our wounds and made whole again. We may from time to time think again about the situation or remember the hurt, but we move on reminding ourselves that we have forgiven them and choose to let go. And in some situations, forgiveness may lead to reconciliation or discussion about a situation that brings understanding and further healing. And as Peter uh, asked Jesus in Matthew 18, how many times should I, should I forgive? 77 times is the answer. In other words, we forgive with grace to which we have been shown from our Heavenly Father. Through this act of forgiveness, we are healed and made whole in God's eyes. But forgiveness is bigger than our own healing and restoration. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, it is a cry out into a divided world to be reconciled with those who sin against us. A prayer that we answer ourselves as we become examples of God's forgiveness in a world of fragmentation, polarization, tribalism, and offense. It is a daily act of offering God's grace in situations we encounter. It is a choice to say, stay silent when hurt rather than retaliate. It is denying ourselves the temptation of victimhood and choosing to love and pray for those who have hurt us instead. It is asking God for his strength, grace, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness in a broken world.